The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on this uh, beautiful uh, Saturday the first, the ninth uh, of of January of twenty twenty one. This is the second Saturday, our second week uh, that we're going to be starting off already for uh, this brand new year. Uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun, right? Or or when you're suffering through what we've been suffering. Uh, welcome to the show, my friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you'll call your buddies or your friends, you know, your relatives, and tell them uh, to tune into our program as well. Uh, the program is also available at uh, klup.com on uh, their website, El Conservador. You can always go there and uh, listen to past uh, uh, programs as well as, the, uh, as, well as this program. Uh, I truly encourage you also to um, uh, go to our social media, to go to Twitter, to go to Facebook, uh, get on our mailing list or, or on our email list, and... Um, Join us and support us, my friends, because because after the incidents, after the events this past week, yes, this past week, particularly the uh, the uh, riot, the violent ac- actions that occurred at the Capitol building, we are seeing, my friends, we are seeing more and more shutting down of conservative thoughts and opinions by the media. Whether it's social media, whether it's private media, whether it's uh, whatever it is, we're seeing it. Um, <clears throat> Senator Hawley, uh, who uh, was very, very open, who was very, very vocal about standing up and supporting Trump, President Trump, uh, in challenging the uh, election, the Electoral College, he, was, he, was, he had a book that he was working on. And would you believe that Simon and Schuster, the book publishers, have turned him down and told him that they're not going to publish his book? They're not going to publish his book. Why? Well, because he uh, supposedly incited the riot that occurred at the Capitol building. Never mind whether or not it was truly Trump people. And uh, some people are saying that it was Antifa people. Some people are passing around a uh, a, a picture of a guy with... Uh, with a, uh, a horned hat, um, but real quick, real quick, no sooner did that appear and people say that that was Antifa, then uh, USA Today came out and said, no, that is a uh, that is a person who follows QAnon, which is a uh, who's it supposed to be a a right wing conservative um, uh, a right wing conservative organization. So uh, you know, again, my friends. What they're saying, what they're, what what the media is doing, is they're blaming us. I find it to be this way. Let me let me explain it to you. And I posted it on my social, on my uh, Facebook page, and on my MeWe, and a few other places. I posted it, and I, I I was surprised by some by the reaction from some folks who were uh, who uh, apparently don't understand, don't uh, don't know history. I compared this situation. At the um, at the Capitol building this past week, uh, of of the violence there, I compared it to the burning of the Reichstag in 1933 by the Nazis. Okay, and here's the comparison I see: in 1933, the the the, the Nazis burned the Reichstag and turned around and blamed the communists. Okay, they were the ones that did it. They were trying to create. A, they were trying to create a, a, a crisis, some chaos, so that that way they could come in and pacify things. Well, the same thing has happened here, because if, and I think it's, I, I have my suspicions, I think it's very, very true, if the people that were involved in this situation, in this violent uh, uh, riot inside the, 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 the Capitol building, if those people are actually Antifa leftists, 
who were trying to create a problem in, with with the face wearing a mask or the face of uh, of, of uh, uh, right wing folks or, or conservative folks, then all it was was a setup so that the government, the left wing government that we're going to have now, a president who's left wing, a senate which is left wing, a house which is left wing, now they have the excuse to crack down. And that's what's happening. The excuse to crack down on conservatives. The reason that, that uh, Senator Hawley's book is not being published is because it, it, it's, it's, it encourages violence. The reason that, uh, you know, that, they are, that uh, the Democrats, the House, and the Senate are trying to push the 25th Amendment and remove um, uh, Trump, finish impeaching him, is because he encouraged violence. My friends, we are soon going to be at a point where anything that you say contrary to the Democrats, contrary to their socialist agenda, is going to be considered is going to be considered hate speech. It's going to be considered threatening, and they will try to shut us down. We have already seen so many times that young people on colleges and campuses believe that hate speech should be should be banned and when you ask them well what about free speech they don't equate they do not equate free speech with hate hate speech they think that hate speech is is something completely different and if they hate it then it's hate speech it's not free speech a you know a completely completely uh, uh, crazy completely immature in their view. But these are the folks that are going to be the front lines of this new administration. My friends, I'll be honest with you. I I am very, very concerned. I personally, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, very, very concerned. Because when I was when I was a, a Tea Party president back uh, what was it in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when I was a Tea Party president ten years ago the uh, Obama administration, using the IRS, came after me. Came after me. After we had, you know, made the application for uh, the, the organization that made the, the San Antonio Tea Party had made the application for being nonprofit status, so that we could, you know, uh, uh, create a PAC and do a few other things. You know, they came after us and started asking for everybody's personal information. Not, not the information of the organization. No, no, no. They wanted the personal information. And then eventually, everybody dropped out. Everybody said, no, we're not going to do that. But for some reason, they kept me. And they came after me. They they asked me, I mean, they asked me what time of day I was born. I mean, they asked me everything. They went through me, through my finances and everything else with a fine-tooth comb. That's what the Obama administration did. It was a political enemies list. What is this administration, which is twice as radical, what are they going to do? Particularly since I am so vocal at this point, since I have a radio program, since I have a book, since I write, since I go out and speak, you know, I, I really truly feel like I'm going to be walking around with, with a big target on my back. So, this is the situation we're looking at, my friends, at this point. What we should be concerned about is, are we going to be able to express our opinions against illegal immigration without being accused of being, uh, of being racists, of being, uh, of being anti-Mexican, and uh, thus, you know, having to be shut down? Are they going to uh, accuse us of being sexist because we disagree with uh, uh, the abortion stand? Are they going to accuse us uh, of, of inciting riots if we express our opinions? How about if we support the police? Is that racist? My friends, we are looking at a real critical point in our lives, in our nation's history and in our society. You, you need to support me and others like myself. 
You need to support us. You need to understand that we are the ones that are going to be on the front lines voicing your opinions, having you on the air, giving you a platform, because I guarantee, my friends, that the liberals and the leftists and the new government is not going to allow it. They don't allow school prayer. You think that they are going to allow you to challenge them? Think about it. So, my friends... I will continue to speak out very strongly about illegal immigration because it's not about race, it's about our nation's ability, our nation's right to secure the borders. I will speak out very, very strongly about race relations because race relations is about equal opportunity, not affirmative action. I will speak out very, very strongly about the big, the big mainstream fake news, because the big stream, the big uh, mainstream fake news, my friends, those folks have the loudest voice, and they are, I mean, I, I'm not sure how else to put it. They are brainwashing America. They are leading us down a path that will uh, that 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 is just going to be destructive to us so once again my friends george rodriguez el conservador talking to you on klup 9:30 a.m. radio thank you for being with us let me tell you real quick who our guests are uh, first up is going to be uh, patrick mcginnis a very good friend of mine from austin patrick's going to be talking to us about the liberal policies what the liberal policies in austin texas what they've done to austin uh, and I'm going to try to get uh, Patrick on a regular basis because, I mean, if we are seeing the destruction of a city, we're seeing it in Austin. Uh, our second guest is Todd Bensman, our, our a regular guest with us from the Center for Immigration Studies. And Todd uh, is uh, has written a couple of uh, new articles that uh, I want him to chat about because uh, we're looking at, at some real pressure points on the, uh, on the border. This past week, and it was not reported by the mainstream media, my friends, this past week... Um, there were 400 mostly Cuban migrants that uh, tried to storm uh, across the uh, across the border in uh, El Paso and in Del Rio as well. And uh, this was very very well orchestrated. Uh, Todd Benson's going to tell you all about it because people, I mean, they're going to start rushing our borders, man. And uh, finally, we've got Ira Melman uh, with the uh, with Fair with the Federation for American. Uh, immigration reform in Washington, D.C. And Ira's going to be chatting with us regarding the issue of, uh, uh, of all the policies that, uh, are, that, that Trump has that may be going by the wayside that is going to leave our border extremely vulnerable. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism. Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Dot news. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got our good friend Ira Melman from the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform, FAIR, in Washington, D.C., and uh, folks, uh, like everybody, we're all, we're, we're all just kind of uh stunned and uh befuddled by what's been happening the past uh few days and um i wanted to reach out to ira because uh if any organization watches out on the issue of uh immigration it is fair and i wanted uh, him to tell us now that we know who we're going to be dealing with for the next four, for the next 2 years because i'm giving leadway to the next uh congressional election, but at least for the next two years, we're going to be dealing with uh, a liberal, a very liberal, 
Congress, uh, Senate, and uh, and uh, White House. What policies are the greatest concern, Ira, that you see uh, in, in in immigration uh, with this incoming administration? And um, and then you know what what do we on the grassroots level need to do? So welcome to the show, Ira. Talk to us. Thanks. Uh, well, first and foremost, the biggest concern right now is whether the new administration will maintain the agreements that the previous administration, the outgoing administration, made with the Central American governments in Mexico to help stem the flow of migrants heading north. Uh, and even uh, President-elect Biden has acknowledged that uh, you know that he cannot tolerate at this point a rush of you know he said two million people coming. Uh, up to our border in the first days of his administration. Uh, he is going to be dealing with an awful lot once he takes that oath of office on January 20th. Uh, that includes dealing with the pandemic, the economic fallout. Uh, we simply cannot afford, we cannot tolerate a mass border incursion uh, on the magnitude that we saw in 2018 and 2019. And we certainly hope that, you know, with the campaign behind him uh, and, you know, his need to appeal to uh, a certain base group within the Democratic Party, uh, that once he assumes the mantle of office, he will take the responsibilities of the presidency seriously, recognize that his first responsibility is to protect the well-being of the nation, uh, continue those policies, and to dampen the expectation that coming to the United States right now is going to result in an open door uh, at a time when we are overwhelmed with many other problems. Uh, and, you know, that remains to be seen. He is going to be getting a lot of pressure from the political left. Uh, you know, you have the ascendant group, uh, particularly in the House of Representatives, the, the so-called squad, uh, that is going to be pushing very, very hard for him to adopt these radical policies. Uh, and he's going to have to stand firm uh, for the best interest of the American people. And we certainly, I think most Americans, would hope and pray that he does so. Yeah, you know, uh, the squad, for example, has demanded has demanded that um, uh, ICE be uh, be disbanded. I mean, it, it, uh, that that's outrageous enough. Hopefully, he would not do such a thing. But we never know. I mean, on the other hand, uh, limiting the uh, the the uh, budget of uh, of ICE, limiting their uh, uh, or curtailing their their uh, activities, uh, limiting their their scope of uh, of action. I mean, you know, so many things could be happening that these that uh, you know that the squad could be uh, involved in. Do you think um, you know? I mean, do, do you th- uh, what can be done if uh, you know the whole con- country turns into a sanctuary? Should uh, should folks at the grassroots level try to? Uh, turn their own communities um, instead of into sanctuaries, into uh, places where uh, immigration law can be enforced? <laughs> well, we, you know, we've seen this throughout the, the past few years, that you have different communities going in different directions, and I expect that that's going to continue even after the new president is inaugurated. Uh, but it, it, look, he is going to be facing political pressures uh, coming from the far left, uh, and we have to wait and see if he is going to be able to resist those pressures, because he, he's going to be dealing with an awful lot. The, the American public did not elect him to throw the borders open. Uh, they elected him to be a steady hand, a rational voice at a time of national crisis, uh, and that that is what they expect of him. Uh, they did not elect him, as I said, to, to simply say we're going to um, throw up all immigration restrictions and enforcement. Uh, that would be a huge mistake. Uh, in another area where he's going to need to uh, think very carefully about what he does is, you know, President Trump uh, instituted limits on the admission, particularly of guest workers, but other new workers coming into the United States based on the economic circumstances and labor market circumstances that the country is facing as a result of the COVID pandemic. Uh, the, it, President, you know, when he becomes President Biden, he is going to have to decide whether he wants to maintain those, whether his priority is getting Americans back to work, or his priority is appealing to uh, 
functions of his party like the this squad. So the, these are things that are going to be facing him as soon as he settles into the Oval Office. And I, I'm not sure anybody can predict at this point what he's going to do. All we can say is we hope that he acts responsibly and he, react, he acts uh, in the appropriate manner once he is the president of the United States. Yeah, I, I, you know, watch and pray, I guess, is the only thing we can do. Gosh. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously we're going to have to, uh, you know, fight back in any legal ma- manner that is possible through the courts, uh, through political pressure. Uh, the, the majorities that the Democrats hold in both houses is very, very small. Uh, you know, the Senate has now flipped to the Democrats, uh, and the big question is whether they're going to maintain uh, the filibuster rule that requires that any bill that gets through the Senate have at least 60 votes just to get to the to the floor for a final vote. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, who is probably the most moderate of the Democratic members of the Senate, has said that he will fight uh, to maintain that, that he's not going to simply roll over and allow Chuck Schumer to you know, institute dramatic changes based on a one-vote majority. So, again, we, we certainly hope that he will be true to his word. Obviously, uh, you know, he represents the state, West Virginia, that needs a lot of federal help and that, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure that could be put on him by the new majority leader. Uh, so all of these things are yet to be seen, uh, but we certainly hope that everybody there will act in the best interest of the country. Uh, you know, this is a time when we need to, to pull together. We, we've seen the divisiveness. Uh, it, the, the country, I think, is reviled by it, and we need some kind of unity, and we need to focus on policies where there is a great deal of consensus, uh, where there is common interest in dealing with a, uh, a pandemic in this country uh, that is hurting the health of many people and certainly undermining the economic stability of the country. So all of these things need to take priority, uh, and we'll have to, guess, wait and see what the priorities of the administration are, whether they are the American people's priorities or they're the priorities of the radical fringe. I would assume that FAIR is going to continue being very vocal and active on Capitol Hill, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's, we, we've uh, had to face these situations in the past. Uh, so we've done this before. We, you know, we've seen that the American public has rallied uh, to stop bad immigration legislation. Uh, there's no reason why they can't do it again, as you point out, that the, the, you know, there's an election again uh, only two years off. Uh, the Democrats hold a very, very slim majority in both houses. So, you know, if nothing else out of political expedience, you know, they might want to temper uh, some of the the legislation uh, when it comes to immigration and other issues to a uh, to ones that appeal to the vast majority of the American people. And the vast majority of the American people do want limits on immigration. They do want our borders enforced. They do recognize that you cannot have millions of people coming in here at a time of high unemployment, uh, at a time when you're, the government is running huge deficits, when state and local governments are barely uh, staying afloat. Uh, all of these things have to be considered. And, you know, we hope that in the clear light of day, once uh, they have assumed the responsibility of, of con- total control of government, uh, that they will act responsibly. No, we can only hope. We can only hope. Uh, Ira, just, uh, you know, in, in closing, um, if you had a magic wand uh, and you could tell him, what, what policies do you would you tell him to keep in place? Well, uh, again, I mean, you have to recognize that he's not going to have the same policy as the Trump administration. We, we fully recognize that. But the, the ones that I mentioned, uh, the agreements with the Central American governments and with Mexico to stem the flow of people coming to the United States illegally, uh, you know, aside from the damage it does to the country, you have people who are dying along the way, facing all sorts of awful circumstances in the hands of human smugglers, human traffickers. Uh, those things need to be written remain in place. Uh, The limits on the admission of people who are coming here looking for work at a time when millions of Americans are looking for work, those absolutely need to remain in place. Uh, So, and the the, the focus of the new administration should be on the the, the biggest priorities of the American people, Uh, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with the economic recovery that we hope is coming, 
those are the things that the new administration uh, should be focusing on. And if it does, if President Biden does do that, then he will have the support of the American people. Yeah. Once again, Ira, tell the folks how they can uh, uh, support and follow um, FAIR. Uh, it is, you know, they can go to our website, which is fairus.org, F-A-I-R-U-S dot O-R-G, uh, fairus dot org, and all the information is there. And uh, look, I mean, it, it is going to be a difficult um, couple of years dealing with immigration policy, and the American public needs to make its voice heard uh, in a responsible way, and that's what we need is responsible representation right now of the American people's interests. You got it, buddy. Once again, my friends, we've been speaking with Mr. Ira Melman the, uh, with uh, FAIR, the, the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. Ira, stay safe. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. New Year, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, my very good buddy, Todd Benzman, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I had to get Todd on the show because uh, while most of us were celebrating uh, this past New Year's Day, um, something was happening on the border uh, that really, really merits our attention because uh, there was uh, some aliens that made a rush for the uh, for the border, for our side, tried to overpower the border patrol, and um, this unfortunately is something that's happened in the past. It's happened uh, before, uh, and uh, it look and it looks like we're going to you know having to replay again, uh, Todd. Thank you for taking time to be on our show as usual. Glad to be here. Thank you. Tell us about this uh, this report that you did, this article that you've written and report of this incident. Tell us about it. Sure. So here's what happened. Over the holiday weekend, uh, December 29, December 30, a group of as many as 400 Cuban migrants in Ciudad Juarez rushed over, overpowered the Mexican border guard on the bridge to El Paso, jumped the turnstiles, hundreds of them, and rushed pell-mell toward the American side to break through to get into downtown El Paso. Uh, we haven't seen one of these in quite a while, uh, but most of them were, as they were rushing uh, toward the American side, were chanting, Biden, Biden, Biden. Uh, and were later quoted uh, on the bridge because they were stopped by CBP in riot gear with barriers and concertina wire threatening to arrest and uh, meet violence with violence, if there was any. And so shut down most of those uh, Cubans mid-bridge. There were lots of um, uh, discussions and talk at that point about Biden that Biden would let them in. There had been a social media rumor that somehow Biden had arranged in advance, even though Trump is still in office, that they were going to be let in now. There are thousands and thousands of migrants like these Cubans trapped in Mexico or, or stuck in Mexico by their, from their viewpoint due to a number of Trump policies that required that they stay in Mexico while their asylum claims are adjudicated, which takes quite a lot of time. They have been frustrated over those policies and they have been hearing the Biden campaign for months and months tell them that as soon as Biden is is in office, all of those policies would be immediately reversed and that they would all be let in to pursue their asylum claims, which is of course what everybody wants because once you lose your asylum claim, you're still in and nobody can get you out because, you know, you're in and hiding. So uh, that's what was happening here. And uh, it's not just at the El Paso Bridge, four bridges there. It happened at one of the four bridges. 
It also happened apparently in Del Rio, uh, uh, between Acuna and Del Rio, and CBP was able to break that one up as well. The significance of the tactic of rushing the border is that if it happens once Joe Biden is in office, we'll be faced with this choice as to whether to use force to stop them like Trump did. One of the, the very first Biden interactions with migrants would be force or to let them through uh, into the interior to pursue their claims in the interior. If that happens, you would have a very large reservoir of tens of thousands, well over 100,000, close to 200,000 migrants throughout Mexico who see this and would very likely also try to attempt well, it would lead very quickly to a spiraling uh, crisis, a humanitarian crisis at the border. So what I say in my column is that these kinds of tactics as we go forward are very important to watch. We need to watch how Biden handles this. You know, it, is, it is very, very disconcerting. That we've, uh, you know, that we are seeing this, and Biden is not even in, in office yet. Uh, the second thing that's very, very interesting is that it's got to be, you know, um, if not coordinated, it's got to be the result of uh, of rumors being being propagated uh, with these folks. Because, um, you know, I mean, if if they're doing the same tactic in Del Rio as they are in El Paso, uh, well, then what's next? Laredo, uh, Harlingen, McAllen? I mean. Uh, where does this stop, and and who is spreading this rumor? I mean, I, I don't understand why uh, Univision, Telemundo, and other Spanish-language uh, news outlets just don't tell people, don't come into the country illegally. I don't understand that. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, for one thing, in my travels in Mexico and spending a lot of time with migrants all the way from the border, the Mexican Texas-Mexico border down to Panama is is that almost all desperately poor migrants have cell phones uh, and social media. So word spreads very quickly on their iPhones, and that's what happened here. I don't know who started it or how it got started. There, there have been some media reports that, that somehow a false rumor did get started on their social media that the Biden administration had somehow arranged for them to start to be able to pass through even while Trump is still in office. So uh, they were in for a rude awakening once they got halfway across the bridge, riot troops. Uh, the, the big question again is, uh, you know, when Biden is actually in office, uh, we should be seeing this kind of uh, uh, tactic played out at bridges and even between bridges uh, in the brush at the riverbanks across the spectrum of border uh, entries and areas where people can cross to test out where Biden is going to stand. What is he going to do? Um, it doesn't matter really whether he reverses Trump's policies or implements his own policies right away or not. These people have the power within themselves to force the issue whenever they want, just like they did a few days ago at the El Paso Bridge. Yeah, that's right. The other aspect of it is, uh, how is he going to deal with the uh, with the issue of the cartels? Um, I mean, uh, it's very, very evident that the Mexican president is not able to deal with them. Uh, what are what is what is you know the what are the Democrats going to do with it? And at the same time, you know, you continually hear the uh, the the drum beating by the left, by the Democrats' left, of uh, wanting to abolish the border patrol, wanting greater uh, open borders. I mean, uh, you know, relaxing, getting rid of all of these policies that have kept uh, control, somewhat of uh, control of the border. I mean, it is really, really worrisome that these people are already trying to storm the border and uh, Biden is, in, is not even in charge yet. Well, they strongly, migrants strongly suspect that 
when Biden is office, they'll be able to finally get in and stay in, win or lose their asylum claims, win, lose, or abandon. That's why most of them want to be inside the country. Because it'll be another catch-and-release type situation, right? Catch-and-release. Catch-and-release. That, that is essentially what Biden has promised over and over and over again at the presidential debates and in, on their, their campaign website and within the first hundred days, no deportations, no detention, uh, amnesty bill uh, you know, presented to Congress within the first 100 days. I mean, there's a real magnetizing incentive uh, by, um, by just uh, statements, public statements that has this effect on migrant communities across the Americas. They have heard that, that clarion call. Uh, no deportations, amnesty, uh, you know, welcome wagons with food and medicine and humanitarian assistance for everybody who gets across, uh, resettlement, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. Now, whether he implements that right away, any and all of it, it doesn't matter because those who can access the actual physical land border will test it. And if any of them get through, uh, you know, by my count, there's at least 170,000 migrants who have been pushed back under the migrant pro- protocol, uh, protection uh, protocol, uh, weight in Mexico, uh, metering, uh, pandemic-related border uh, closures, and all the rest of that, uh, and also uh, have applied for Mexican asylum who are just waiting. They, many of them have told me, we are waiting here for the Democrats to take office, for Biden to take office. They're on the record. Many, many uh, migrants themselves are you know, highly aware that it's going to be an easy go for them once Biden gets in. In fact, I read a, a piece yesterday about a, a couple of days ago about uh, a caravan of Cubans that have been stuck in Suriname, South America, that formed up right after Biden was elected because he was elected. And they see that there's a way finally for Cubans to just empty out into the uh, United States over the border. They're stuck in Suriname only because of a pandemic closure there, pandemic border closure there. But they're on the record with local media saying, we did this, we formed this caravan because Biden won office. Yeah. We're going to need to close. Uh, f- tell the folks where they can where they can read about you, where they can read your articles, Todd. Sure, you can you can find my writing at cis.org, Center for Immigration Studies.org, or you can um, find me at toddbensman.com. Gotcha. Thank you very very much. We've been talking on KLUP nine thirty AM radio, the answer with Mr. Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thanks, George. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer, here in San Antonio. And we've got a new guest with us, uh, someone who's very, very active in uh, local politics. He's been very, very active in, in fighting local tyranny, as we might say, particularly in Austin, where he resides. Uh, we've got Patrick McGinnis, and Patrick is also president of the North Austin Republican Club. He has been very, very engaged and involved in uh, local uh, conservative as well as uh, Republican politics. And I wanted to get him on the show because uh, Austin seems to continue to spin out of control, as well as um, 
Uh, I want him to tell us, you know, what, uh, give us an idea of what these liberal policies have brought about lately uh, as far as the standard of living in the city. Patrick, thank you for taking time to be with us. Happy New Year and welcome to our show. Yeah, Happy New Year. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, let me so. be, yeah, let me begin by asking you. Let me ask you this because uh, two big things that have happened in two in, in twenty twenty was uh, the uh, city of Austin's liberal government. Uh, they established some policies regarding uh, the homeless problem that uh, even the state, even even the governor uh, Abbott had to get involved and uh, try to address. Also, there is the issue, the ongoing issue right now of defunding the police. Uh, that uh, movement has taken root as well. And uh, Abbott, again, has uh, threatened to get involved with that. Uh, tell us about these these uh, policies, Yeah, uh, what, what you have seen uh, at the local level. I, as someone who's been in Austin a long time, I think the last few years what we've seen is we've always had a certain flavor to Austin. If, if you've been to Austin, you know, the, uh, keep Austin weird. You, it, it's a different kind of place in Texas, as Attorney uh, <laughs> General Paxton would joke. It, the wonderful thing about Austin is it's so close to Texas, right? It's just this different place. But I think what's happened, and you've seen this in other cities as well, is the left has just gotten just off the rails. There's no opposition to bad ideas in the Democratic Party from the ideas coming from the left. And things have gotten more and more radical. The driver of a lot of these in our particular Austin City Council is uh, Greg Gazar, and, and he is a Marxist-oriented, far-left person. And um, But we have the entire City Council, unfortunately, um, for a couple of years, um, has not had any representative who is right of center or even center. Um, so so what we saw, going back to your first part, the homeless problem, um, of course we've always had a homeless problem. I, when I would work downtown, um, there's there there time I was working down on 8th Street, and right there there's a homeless shelter, and you know there's, there's vagrants on the street, there's you know folks panhandling at different places. But what happened that kind of just amped things up and, and changed what, I've seen them on the on the sidewalks in front of businesses as well. Um, right, but, and, and it's ruined businesses as well. Um, so they've they've been hurt, um, you know. And 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 so what 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 what's happened is then there has been a response to that. Uh, there's a group, Take Back Austin, that is that was formed and and tried to tried to push back on this with a petition to uh, repeal. Uh, I'm sorry, to repeal the repeal, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, fact uh, that gained momentum this summer. 
Um, Matt Makoviak is one of the leaders of that. They presented 24,000 signatures to the city. And then the city lawyers came back and said, well, that's, the, the, the number is supposed to be 20,000. They came back and said, well, there were enough invalid ones. We don't think it counts. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a total bogus thing. Um, but it was tough to, it's tough to fight city hall, as they say. So actually they've gone back and they're trying again. There's another petition ongoing right now to try to get signatures so that we can put this on the May ballot, May 2021 ballot, uh, to repeal this. Again, I'm, maybe I'm saying the word wrong, but to reinstate the camping ban and to undo this repeal. Right. Um, let, let me ask you. Yeah, yeah, let me. Can I add something, though? The cool. city, in addition to this, completely separate to this, we are spending in the city of Austin budget $64 million on homelessness this coming year. We spent over 50 the prior year. They are buying hotels so that they can put homeless people in there. There's a lot of money and effort going in to quote unquote solve the homeless issue, but by actually keeping this, I I, I believe that part of the left here knows that this doesn't solve anything and they actually do this to actually create a bigger problem because it makes the homeless issue so much more obvious when you repeal it, and then you have hundreds, actually thousands of people deciding that this is a lifestyle that they're, you know, they're going to live. Because who can afford the $1,500 rents that we now have in Austin because rents have gone up so high, and we have people being priced out of their homes because the property taxes are so high. And the property taxes are so high because the city of Austin has a $4 billion budget, part of which is going to stuff like this. It's it's a big cycle, and it just it, it's like a cycle of um, you know just just gets worse <laughs> because because we do bad you know bad policies, and nobody is standing up to the progressive left when they come up with these bad ideas. And there yeah. you go. You know, let let me ask you uh, two quick questions as we're getting close to the end here. Uh, two quick questions because uh, you know they're spending so much money on these uh, on these liberal programs. Uh, but at the same time, they have cut back uh, on the police. Uh, right. And that has affected, obviously, uh, it, it affects public safety. Ha- I mean, what have you seen about that? As well as, what is the response? I mean, are you seeing any kind of, uh, of effort from uh, folks to run candidates that will counter this uh, insanity? Yes. In fact, that did happen, and, and that's a great point, because I think, again, another crazy progressive idea that came out of the BLM protest. I mean, it's been around for a while, the defund the police movement, but the you know the whole George Floyd and that sparked some things. So this August, we got a unanimous city council vote to cut $150 million from the Austin city. Good heavens. <laughs> huge amount. They cut training, they cut new cadets, they, got, they, they, they reduced the 9-11 response. Now, a lot of this, and the protesters, you know, from the left doing, we're like, well, this was, this was not enough, right? One third was but partly because they were just shifting things from police to civilian. But again, if, if you've got a dangerous person, let's say there's a mentally disturbed person running around in some neighborhood with a knife, do you want the police or a social worker there? Right? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So a lot of people know this is nonsense. I think this helped Republicans in the, in the, the November election. And in fact, again, it's shocking to me, not that they... Austin did this because we have leftists on the city council. What's shocking was this was a unanimous vote. Every single city council member. In fact, Jimmy Flanagan, who uh, was the city council member for my district, District 6, he actually proposed to demolish the police headquarters. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, here's the silver lining. Mackenzie Kelly, who is part of Take Back Austin, who has been pushing back on some of these things, she ran against Jimmy Flanagan Part of why, and she beat him. She won in the runoff just uh, just a few weeks back um, in the, in the mid December runoffs. Uh, we had another candidate who was fighting also in District Ten, but she fell short. Um, and so, you know, we've gone from we had in the past Ellen Troxclair and Don Zimmerman. There were there were two more conservative members of the city council to basically zero. Like everybody was a progressive. We now have at least one person. So at least sometimes. We might, obviously not a majority, but we'll have a voice there that maybe when they do some of these insane things, we've got... They can be challenged. <laughs> yeah. Put back. Yeah, to say, look, this, this 
Travis also has a Soros-funded left-wing radical left VA as well. So, ah, yes. So I don't think things are going to get better as a whole in the city of Austin. But again, we still have people in Austin here fighting back on our side to basically try to push back on this. That's great. I mean, that that's the silver lining that they're pushing back. Anything you want to you want to close with uh, and add here before we go? Well, I think the third leg of this let's create lack of safety along with tyranny has been the COVID response of Mayor Adler and others. And that also has, you know, there's been a lot of pushback on really them being ridiculous. The latest ridiculous thing is their attempt to basically shut down restaurants at the last minute right before New Year's. I, I, I just, you know, the good news is, um, you know, A.G. Paxton pushed back. Uh, the Attorney General said this is against the state law. But you know, again, I, I think there's been this knee-jerk, you know, they, they've tried to, to enforce, if you will, clamp down on the citizens, while at the same time, um, you know, the way they cater to uh, some of these issues with respect to defund the police and uh, and the homeless issue, it's, it's, it's the citizens are the ones who are feeling the, the, the pinch, and at the same time, we're not getting the law and order we deserve and need. You got it. So. Thank you very much for taking time on. we got to get you back on, Patrick, to give us uh, uh, an idea, to give us an update of what is happening in, uh, in, in Texas's most liberal community in Austin. Um, but I thank you for coming on the show. Once again, my friends, we've been chatting with uh, our good friend Patrick McGinnis from, uh, from Austin, a local activist and, and uh, Republican Party uh, uh, supporter there. Uh, thanks for taking time to be with us, Patrick. George, thanks a lot. Great to, have, great to be here, and I uh, appreciate it. You have a great day. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP, 930 AM radio, The Answer. Thank you.